feel like I wanted announcements to keep going. I was like, I'm having fun here. <laughs> How many churches can you say that about? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have a treat today. Um, how many in the house uh, went to Suki and I's wedding? All right. That's actually pretty good. So um, Jeff and Annette should have been raising their hands because, <laughs> yes, so Jeff and Annette Nichols are here um, today with us, and we are very blessed to have them. Uh, Jeff officiated our wedding. And uh, Jeff and Annette were my pastors before I came over to UC Berkeley um, and got plugged in with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship over here. And uh, I remember kind of like that, that moment where I was sitting in their church and what the church could be expanded for me. And there were two components of it. One, Jeff's preaching was amazing. And then two was they served the poor like I had never seen a church serve the poor. And I remember just kind of like the love and the connection with the community around them that they had. And it's still something this day that stucks with, sticks with me. But these are some two uh, amazing people that have loved us really well over the years. So thank you guys for being here. And Jeff, thank you again for coming to speak to us. Let's welcome him as he comes on up and shares the word. It's really, really fun to come here. It really is. Uh, I've got a couple of things I want to say before I get into the, the talk. The, the, the first thing is that, um, you know what? It, it's going to turn out better than you think. It, it really is. And I know that uh, in a group this size that some of us are really, really going through it. I know that. I know that's... That's just life. I don't mean just life. That's life. And some of you feel like it could never even get any better. And, you know, so there's that unevenness. And we go through that at times. You know, there's been times and my wife and I, we've been really, really low. Really, really discouraged. You know, really honest about thinking, you know, we thought it was going to turn out differently. You know, different things in life that's happened. And then there's been times when we just thought, you know, it just, it, it couldn't get any better. I, I, I think one of the things, and I got to be careful here because I'll sit here and just talk like this and we'll even get to the talk. But one of the fun things I realized tonight coming here and being with you is it reminds me of when we were your age and, and maybe a little bit older because in our, in our, uh, our 30s and, and 30s to 40s, God really changed us. He put us in situations and in ministries and under ministries and went to conferences and went to seminars and we really learned some things. And it really, it really formed us. I mean, I mean, I realized that, I thought, you know, God, like, like Ryan was saying about, about the river, you know, realizing that God's hand is, is over us. That's true for all of you. It's not true just for Ryan and just for the special ones. It's true for all of us. That's, that's called the kingdom of God, by the way. That Jesus said is here and accessible now. We're not waiting for it after this life. We're, we get to, to walk in it now. And, you know, and that's why Alani can get, I mean, I thought, 
I mean, talk about nuts. She gets up here and she's saying, you know, you can only get put in jail for like seven days, you know? And she's like, you know, and you know, only people that say that are people that are convinced that there's, there's something tangible and, and experiential and something that God does when he gets into our lives and he changes us. And we, we, we don't have it all figured out. We never really do. And we hit bumps in the road. And it's really hard. And tears are really real. And anguish of soul is, is real. And you go through dark nights. But then the sun comes up. And you realize, you know, it's going to be okay. Ultimately, it's going to be okay. You know, I don't want to bash him, and I, I don't think it's right to do that to, to anybody, but, you know, recently, well, posthumously after his death, Stephen Hawking, there's some material that's been published, some of his life's biggest questions, or the big questions, or something like that. And one of the things that he said was, that he wrote about, was that God is just wishful thinking. The existence of God is just wishful thinking. It's just make-believe. And I thought to myself when I read that. Now, you know, he, I think Stephen Hawking was a brilliant physicist and theorist and all the things that he did. I think, I think in his field, he's brilliant. The problem is when people get out of their field and they try to address things and you think, well, this guy's a genius or this woman's a genius. They must know what they're talking about. You know what? Sometimes they don't. <laughs> and I thought, how odd, Stephen. Because what are we going to do with all these people that have relationship with God? Yeah. What do we do with them? Say, no, you don't have a relationship with God? Well, they absolutely do. You know, men and women have literally, right, died at the stake because of they, they knew, they knew that God was real because God had met them over and over and over again. And I guess, Alani, I don't know what's going to happen in Nepal, but I guess if, you know, God forbid that, you know, they end up getting in jail for seven days, we'll get some postcard or some letter and say, hey, everybody, we're in jail, you know. And, and I, I don't mean to be trite about that, but, but you're walking, you're walking in, a, in a stream that men and women have walked in before you. And they said the same kind of thing. So hats off to... Stephen Hawking's physics questions and answers, but he was wrong about some things. Yeah. And um, he knows now. Now he knows. Now he knows. Okay? Well, how many of you were here April 15th of this year when I was here last time? How many of you even remember that? Florida? Oh, I can't remember what I did last week. And you're asking me if I remember that I was here April 15th. Well, I was here April 15th, and I shared with you out of Psalm 23. And those of you that were here, there'll be a pop quiz afterwards, and I'll ask you to know. And so I know that a lot of water's gone on the bridge. And uh, unless you went home and really worked with Psalm 23, I don't really expect you. And I don't mean this in a mean way. It's just true of all of us. Unless you go home and work with it, you're not going to remember much. Uh, but, it, but, but if you're familiar at all with Psalm 23, and can we put that up on the screen? I'm just, there's, this is going to be, I'll tell you right now, this is going to be 
sort of a half, te half testimony and half sermon. It's not going to be all sermon. It's not going to be all testimony. But on Psalm, on Psalm 23, the rest of it, <laughs> there we go. The part where, well, let's read it. Let's, read, let's go through it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And then next. And this part here. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I want to talk about that part. We, we talked a little bit about it last time. But this time I'm going to talk about that part. Because seven days after I was here with you on April 15th, seven or eight days, depending on which day you want to start counting, I had a heart attack. I had a heart attack in Kaiser Hospital. And had I known that if you preach on Psalm 23, <laughs> that something like that could happen, we would have talked about something else. Well, of course, I'm kidding. But that's, that's absolutely true. And I want to tell you that story. Because... I was thinking, I actually was, had been asked, I don't know what happened, but I was asked by Lauren, I think, or somebody in the, on the staff, if I could come last week. And I, I couldn't come last week. And I was really bummed, because I really wanted to come. Because I, wa I wanted to tell this story, and I, so I whined a little bit. You know, to God, I just said, you know, I, I really wanted to, I really wanted, but I, we had a, well, here's what we had. We had another prior commitment so I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't come. And they totally understood and everything. And then that, that commitment fell through. And I said, see, see, you know, I could have done this and I didn't get to do it. And then I get an email from Lauren. I think I have that. Is that, do I have that right, Lauren? And uh, at this age, you're afraid you're going to talk about people you've never met. So, so see, we didn't even raise our hands when, when Ryan asked us if we'd been to their wedding because they didn't, he didn't directly address us. And so when you're at our age, we just sit there. <laughs> you know, I told my wife once, we went, we went out to West Marin. I have to be careful here because I'll just do this and then we won't ever get anywhere. Went out to West Marin. We were sitting on the beach in our, in our chairs. We just took chairs. You know, when we're your age, we took towels and bathing suits and all that. And I said to my wife and that, I said, remember when we were young and we saw that old couple on the beach? I said, we're that old couple now. So we just said, she had her blanket, or I think she had a blanket. But anyway, sometimes we take blankets with us and all that stuff. What was I talking about? So, so I want to share with you the application of Psalm 23 because, oh, that's right. It was, I wanted to come share this with you. And, you know, here's the odd thing. I say odd, but you get used to God doing things like this. I typically don't put dates on, I mean, it's in the file, but I typically don't put dates on my sermon notes. And I thought, you know what? Last time I was there, I spoke on Psalm 23. And when Lauren asked if I could come over and share with you again, I thought, you know, I would like to share the story. Of the, and I, so I actually even emailed Lauren back and I said, I think the last time I was there was April 15th. Is that true? And she said, yeah. She emailed me back. She said, yeah, that's true. I said, ah, confirmed. And I asked Annette. And Annette said, you know, I, yeah, I think that was probably right. So here's, here's, here's what happened. I told Ryan part of this already, but uh, so that week, the following week, 
And I feel like a knucklehead. I feel like a, a real dummy because of what, what was shortness of breath and signs that I was having an artery start to get blocked, I thought was a bronchial issue. I thought I had some kind of bronchial infection. And I, and I thought, well, this is going to go away. This is going to go away. I felt a little raspy and so on and so forth. Well, I was, I was wrong. I came home on Friday night uh, after that week, and, that, and the, the shortness of breath was coming on. And this time, it just it wouldn't go away. And my wife was gone at the time. I called her up. I think she was down at my son's house. Called her up. I said, you know, something is really wrong here. And I said, we, we better go, go, go to Kaiser. So she said, okay. She comes over. She drives me. And I'm feeling... Uh, the, the way I just could describe, I didn't feel pain raining down my arms or any of those things, but I felt kind of an adrenaline. I just, I couldn't settle down. It just, it felt very, it didn't feel good. It, it, it felt really uh, very uh, unsettling. And so we went in and I said, I'm, I'm sure they're going to tell us it's bronchial and so on and so forth. So I go in and I tell them, you know, I said, you know, give them my card to check in. And they slap an EKG on me right away. And um, they said, it's not bronchial. You've got the heart, your heart's going through some stress. So they, they put me in a bed and, and, then, and they, they get me pretty much settled down. I mean, I get to the place where on Friday evening, I finally feel pretty much like, well, it's gone away. And they said, you know what? Now see this, talk about being a knucklehead. This was my second experience with needing to get a stent because somewhere around five, six years, eight years ago, I had, had stent, but I didn't have that. It, it was a similar, that's a whole other story in and of itself. But this just seems so different. So they said, you know, we don't do stent procedures here in San Rafael. We do them down in the city. So we want you to stay here through the weekend and we'll take you down there Monday in an ambulance and we'll do this procedure and you'll get to go home probably after one night and, and everything will be great. I, well, I'd already gone through that once before and I knew what that was like and I thought, okay, not the way I wanted to spend my weekend, but so be it, that seems to be the wise thing. So I decided that I was, and this is kind of an important part of it, and I want to encourage you with this kind of practice if you've never done this before. I decided that I was going to take sort of a personal retreat in the hospital. I wasn't going to watch TV. You know, trying to watch TV, first of all, I just don't, I just don't think there's all that much that's on there anyway. But, but watching a TV that's up there on a wall, way far away, and with a little, you know, little tiny speaker next to you, I mean, it's just like, it's not high fidelity, you know? It's just not, you know, plus then your neighbor has his TV on and you're hearing, you know, his commercials and so on and so forth. I decided I'm going to have kind of a personal retreat. So I have my, little, I have my iPad with me and I have a lot of books on and I have the, the scriptures on there. And I started just really just trying to drink in the river, you know, just say, God, here I am. I can't go to work. I'm not, I'm going to have, you know, just a few visitors, not a whole lot. I mean, just, I just got to wait. I was drinking and I was watching the nurses serve people. And it was really wonderful just to, just to stop, be still, and know that he is God, as the psalm says. So I was doing that, and then every now and then they would say, now you tell us, Mr. Nichols, if you, know, you have any chest pains or if any changes. I said, I promise you, I'll let you know. You'll be the first to know. So I'm sitting there, and um, I go through Saturdays, fine. And Sunday at 1 a.m., my chest pains come on, set on. And I mean like nothing I've ever felt. And I've got pain raining down both arms. And I'm, I, I'm, I like hit the call button right away and I said, I've, I'm having serious chest pains. I said, we'll be right, and boom, they're there. 
it's the circle of nurses and the doc is at the foot of my bed and he's on his computer and things are moving really fast. And I'm, I stay conscious the whole time. And I grab my phone and I hammer out a text to my wife Annette and I said something like, I tried to get the words heart attack serious. And she said she could make, she, she knew what I was saying, but it didn't say that. I mean, you know, it was half the words or whatever, understandably. But the, and they're giving me nitroglycerin. They, give you, they can give you up just two tablets under my tongue. Nothing's helping. I'm, and I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking they're going to they're gonna fix this pretty quick. I mean, they're going to like solve it. You know, I know this works. I'm here in the hospital, best place to have a heart attack. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just anticipating this is going to be okay. And that the pain is relentless. And uh, then they give me a shot of morphine. Nothing. And, uh, and so I'm going on. Give me another nitroglycerin, a second nitroglycerin tablet. And, uh, and then they give me another shot of morphine. Nothing. Now, years ago, I've had, I had a kidney stone. And they gave me morphine for that. And unfortunately, then, nothing. And I said to the nurse at the time, I said, I said, is this it? My arm feels warm. I said, this is what morphine does, you know? And he said, yeah, that's very, that's very unusual. It turns out, apparently, and there's a few of us on the planet, I don't know how many people, it doesn't affect. It doesn't help you. So one of my friends said, well, next time, tell them, don't give me that cheap stuff. Give me something really good, you know? Well, I don't know what that would be. Maybe some of you know, but I, I don't know what that would be. So it's not helping. And I say to the doctor, I said, Doc, that's not helping me. He says, yeah, it takes five minutes to take effect. Well, we were into this 30 minutes. I knew what time, I knew how long this was. There's a clock right up on the wall. I'm watching all this happen. My wife comes in, my daughter, my daughter, my wife, my uh, second born son, Dustin, and my daughter come in. And they, and my daughter is just <laughs> flooded, you know. And uh, I can see that Annette, unsur unsurprised to me, she's pretty resolute. I mean, she's like, I mean, I could see that she was concerned, but she's, re and they come in, and my son Dustin's at the foot of my bed, and, you know, and uh, they're just, they're, they're watching me. And my, my daughter, it just really, I just felt so, you know, she's, She's our baby of the family, and she's just... My wife slips her hand in between my daughter and the nurse that's there, puts her hand on my heart, and prays something like, oh God, heal him, help him, Jesus, we welcome you to touch his heart. We talked about it later, and she said, all I knew was it was not supposed to end this way. Yeah. And you can talk to her afterwards. Put your hand up in it. She'd be happy to, you know... <laughs> And, and listen, here's the thing. Immediately, the pain went away. I mean, she put her hand on my chest, and it went, and I tell, when I've told this story, I, it like it went out my legs. I don't know why I had that sensation, but it felt like, you know, a thermometer that goes, it felt like it went, like that. I turned to my daughter, and I said, did you see that? Well, later, we had a good laugh about it because she's trying to figure out what is she supposed to have seen <laughs> because she thought I was saying, did you see that? You know, that was Gabriel or Michael, the archangel or Jesus or something. And she's, but, but you know, it's a serious, I mean, it's a serious moment, understandably, for her. 
but I am feeling like, I mean, their level goes, their pain threshold is like 10. I felt like I was at 15, wow. and it felt like it went down to like three. Wow. I could still feel a little, you know, like, eh, you're still in there, aren't you? But you're, you, you're it's a whole lot better, a whole lot better. I said, you, you, did you see that? You have to see that. And then I said to Annette, do that again. I mean, <laughs> I mean so I, I don't want to be over, over uh, detailed about this, but you, you see, I'm, from my vantage point, I, I watched the, the nitroglycerin go in. I saw them give me the, the morphine. I, they even gave me baby aspirin. You know, you hear about baby aspirin. And I said to the nurse, even in the middle of all this, I said, really? I said, baby aspirin? At a time like this? I mean, like, she was, oh, it's very good. It's very good for you, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking, you, I'm th I want to say sister. The morphine didn't work. The nitroglycerin didn't work. And you're giving me baby aspirin. They gave, she just gave me one. Very, very nice, very nice nursing staff. I, I can't say enough about it. Really, really kind, very gentle, very focused. So pretty quickly they say, okay, let's get them downstairs because now they're gonna do the emergency procedure in-house. They're not gonna take me to the San Francisco. They'd already called the, the, the uh, doc that was on call down in the city and he's already up there and they wheel me in there and he's waiting, he's all gowned up, he's got his funny little hat on and he's like, like this, he's waiting for me. You know, I mean, he's not, not typing, he's just drumming his fingers. He goes, Mr. Nichols, how are you? And I said, well, I said, after that upset, I said, right now I'm feeling pretty good. And I said, but that was quite an event up there. He said, yes, I understand it was. He said, we're, well, he said, I'm here to make you feel a whole lot better. So they did the procedure and it went really, really well. And uh, uh, I came out of it and I just, I, I honestly felt, I mean, after your heart get, after that artery gets unblocked, it gets very happy. And in fact, it gets almost too happy and you go into a little bit of arrhythmia and it has to settle down a little bit. But you really feel like, wow, I mean, I, I, I said, this is amazing. So at this point in the testimony, here's what I say. I love anointed, effective prayer. And I'll, I'll take it any time. <laughs> I love skilled physicians and caring nurses. I'll take them any time. I, I love family members that come and respond the way they did, and I'll take it any time. My perspective of what happened is very clear in my mind. The morphine didn't help me, the baby aspirin didn't help me, and neither did the nitroglycerin. The prayer did it instantaneously. Later in a follow-up visit, we meet with the head cardiologist at San Rafael, but she didn't do the actual surgery, but she was there witnessing the whole thing. And my wife, Annette, says, I'm just curious, doctor, did you see what was going on in the room? And she said, I absolutely saw what was going on in the room. And she said, the medication was not helping him. Mm. And then Annette said, did you, did you see, I mean, she, and she didn't say it in a forward, inappropriate way. She goes, did you see what, I, the, the, I put my hand on his chest. She goes, I absolutely did see that. And she said, here's my perspective on it. These, these are her words. I live in a very scientific-based world. I've been trained scientifically. But we're kidding ourselves mm -hmm. if we don't think that there's not someone, again, these are her words, someone behind the scenes pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. She said, I've seen it too many times. I d and, and, and it was a mystery for her. I mean, she wasn't ready to... You know, I mean, she's just, she's being very honest with what she sees on a day-to-day -day basis. 
and we appreciate that. She gave me a really good talk about diet. And, 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 I, and I, I took that, no pun intended, I took that all to heart. Uh, Ryan said when I came in, he goes, oh, you lost a little bit of weight since I saw you. I thought that his, this little thing here that I'm speaking through, because I've, I've actually, I had a fatter head, and I thought, I thought it would feel better. It doesn't. So apparently, my ears are in a different position than his ears, and, or his, his head's just a thinner head than mine, and, and uh, so on and so forth. That experience is, it goes without saying, doesn't it? It's it never going to leave me. I, I know what happened there. And I know the, 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 the personal retreat aspect of just, well, and I don't think that I, don't think that I earned that. I, I don't share that part, to, to the, the part about just seeking to just really drink in the Lord to say that earned this, because I don't think the kingdom works that way. I think what it did, at least I know partly what it did, is it made me much more aware of what goes on. You said it in part of your prayer. If we could just see what's going on around us. In my recovery, I stayed there for a couple more days. They wanted to, to watch me, you know, get me up and walk and, and, and all of that stuff. I, did, I continued in the same frame of mind and I watched the nurses male and female nurses caring for patients of all kinds of, in all kinds of conditions and all kinds of personality traits. Cranky, really good patients, wonderful patients, com complaining patients. And I watched them almost to a person. I won't say there's not some nurses, male and female, and some docs who don't, of course, you know, they lose their patients and all that. But pretty much serving out of genuine compassion and goodness. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a paycheck does that for you. Mm -hmm. The end of your prayer, the end of the prayer that they've led us in today said something about pursuing genuine goodness. And I saw that in the hospital. And I commented to the nurses and I said, you know, I don't know how you guys do it. My ne neighbor next to me, he was a cranky guy. And the nurse would start to leave the room and he'd call her back for something else. And she'd start to leave the room and call her back for something else. I never once saw her eyes roll. She just did her, and I, later I talked with her. And I said, you know, and then I noticed, and you know, it could be just a piece of jewelry or it could mean really reflective of something in her life. I noticed a little cross on her neck. And I talked, and then I told her the story because she hadn't witnessed the and that praying for me and I told her the story and she said you know what I really believe that I've seen that kind of thing happen and, and we can't we just can't discount it now here's I, I want to wrap up with this and I told you there's going to be more of a of a testimony kind of a sermon Jesus said in John 17.4 and I think we have that oh there we go 17.3 sorry now this is eternal life. It's about the, I think it's the only place in the Bible that really describes, it really defines what eternal life is. And Jesus says this. It's part of his high priestly prayer. Now this is eternal life, he's praying. That they may know you, he's praying to God the Father, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, Jesus says. Knowing God. Now we know and you maybe have heard this a bunch of times. If you haven't, we really need to get this into our thinking. In the Bible, knowledge is always experiential. Yeah. 
It's never what we call head knowledge. Uh, there's a dimension of that, but it's not, it, it, especially to the Hebrews, head knowledge isn't worth much at all. It's experiential knowledge. It's just like whatever you know from experience, something that you're really good at, that you even operate into some intuition on because of your knowledge and because of your experience. It's that kind of knowledge. And it's that kind of knowledge that somebody can't really just talk you out of because you say, well, you know, I, I, I know this to be true. Yeah. And I won't get into it now, but faith is actually connected to that kind of knowledge. See, we put our faith in God because we know what he is like. And he is good and he is trustworthy. So one point there is we have to understand that, that the experiential living day by day, moment by moment, taking time out to drink in the river, to stop and look at our lives, to stop and realize that God has overshadowed them through thick and thin, times when we saw that he was there, times that we weren't sure that we sang, part, we sang a song yeah. to that. We worship the Lord under that reality. Because men and women that have gone before us have had those same kinds of experiences. Jesus himself, right on the cross, or no, I'm sorry, before the cross, in the garden, prays this way. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let, let there be another out. But if not, nevertheless, then, th then thy will be done. And then on the cross, he says this, Father, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Now where you put the comma in that verse puts a little twist on it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, no comma. Or is it, my God, my God, why? Pause. Have you forsaken me? And what I think is possible is that he knew that the Father is not the kind of God that forsakes the Son, but he wondered. Because it was the real deal. It wasn't magic. It was real suffering, real blood, a real man. God the Son, the, uh, the Son of God, and God the Son, but a real man who had emptied himself out, Paul says in Philippians 2, and didn't regard his equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant and went to obedience to the death on the cross. That was, it was real. And so he wondered, perhaps, I'm not going to make a doctrine out of this, but perhaps, because it was really, really, really dark. So when I tell the story that I just told about Annette laying her hand on my chest and, and the wonderful result of it that I believe was the Lord, Here's what I want to encourage you with and I want to remind myself of. There are wonderful, amazing times when God meets us like that. And there are times when he doesn't meet us like that. He meets us, but doesn't meet us like that. When I was in that bed and I was writhing in agony, I honestly wondered, was I going to die? And I... I thought that. And I said, 
am I going to one moment see my family and these docs, the doctor and the nurses surrounding my bed, and in the next moment, am I going to mm. see something completely different? I mean, I really wondered that. You know, in a half an hour of that kind of thing, it seemed like a long time. And I wondered. And I was aware of sadness, if that was to happen, mixed with confidence. That's the only way I can put it. Sadness mixed with confidence. That if that happened, it would be okay. Not, would it be sad? Yes. Would there be mourning? Yes. Would I, I mean, I don't know what we do in the next life. I know, I mean, when I say I don't know, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Paul says we can't even imagine it. So you know, I'm going to sit here and try to imagine it. But here, here's the thing. It, I do know that it says right in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear. So there's something kind of on a redemptive note that's happening there. But here's another thing, very quickly, we'll wrap up with this. In Hebrews, chapter 11, there's this wonderful, prior to this, ver, this passage, the, the, the verse that begins in verse 32, there's this whole litany of men and women that have done these great exploits. You go back and read it. Read it tonight before you go to bed. Read Hebrews 11. And it comes down to verse 32, and he says, the writer says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Now listen to this. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, hang on to that, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign enemies, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Then it goes, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. That, the world, that's always stuck with me. In another translation, it says, men and women of whom the world was not worthy. It's, the writer is saying, whole different class of people here. And the world is not even worthy of them. And these men and women, so we have both we have both groups, don't we? We have both experiences. Some of them put foreign enemies to flight. They crossed through the Red Sea. The Egyptians were drowned. Wonderful, <coughs> amazing, powerful. God's redemption. Others were sawn in two. Others were stoned. Others were jeered. I mean, we don't even like jeering sometimes, right? That's hard for us. But see, if, if, we, if we learn to come to the place where we don't love our lives even unto death, and God knows that's not a, you don't, you don't do that in a night. You don't do that in a second. You learn that through trusting him and understanding. They went about in sheepskin. The world, uh, verse uh, 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. That group didn't receive what had been promised. The group before received what had been promised. So here's, here's where I want to I leave your thinking. 
I am so grateful that my wife went in and did what she did. I love that she slipped her hand in there. I love that right alongside those medical professionals. And I love that they didn't say, get away, get away. What do you know? Get away. They didn't do that. She slipped her hand in there. She did it. Boom. She's out. It was a, I mean, it was a drive-by, a drive-by prayer, right? I love that. I love that she did it. I'm so grateful. I, I've said but to the Lord, did you save my life or did my wife save my life? Here's the answer, yes. Yes, I saved your life and your wife had a role in it, yes. And that, isn't that great that we get roles like that? And, I, and, I, and we, would, we wanna live there. And, and here's where it gets, here's where we need to just recommit, put our trust in God. When it doesn't go like that, we don't stop and we don't, go, we don't get bitter. We have some dear friends. We just went camping with them this weekend. And something like 20 years ago or so, I, I've forgotten the math, but they, they lost their son. Their son was floating down a, a river in an inner tube in Montana and uh, with his stepbrother. And he got caught in a strainer. And it, you know the water was sucked down through a tree, under a tree, and it sucked him under. Mm. And, the, and the older brother stood there and watched him drown. He couldn't, he couldn't pull him out. And they, the, the, the couple, Chris and Mary Lee, dear, dear friends of ours, heard the sirens and the thing, and they wondered what, what was going on down there. And it, it turned out it was their son. Here's something that Mary Lee said to us in our home group just last week. I've never felt alone. I never felt like God abandoned me. Mm. Now, you ask her, did you grieve? Absolutely. You feel a loss? Absolutely. She thinks about Brian every day. And they used to, they go up every year to that place in Montana and that river and there was a tree there and she called it Brian's tree. Woman of faith, man of faith, committed to missions, doing wonderful things for people. Not bitter. Not bitter. Mm -hmm. Which one takes more faith? I don't know. Because I, I mean, you've met people that go bitter, right? And I have. And we don't fault them. We don't blame them. We don't make fun of them. But we admire those who, who resolutely say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. Yeah. You can ask all those questions. I just know that it did. Yeah. But I've never felt alone. And I've never gone bitter. And I'm going to follow God. And I'm going to invite them to come meet you guys sometime. Because I, see, I tell my friend, one of the funnest congregations I like to go hang out with is this congregation over in Berkeley called Ark Ministries. And you just got to go. Because it's full of, you know, and I'm glad that you let senior citizens like us come in. <laughs> you know? Until we see the sign that says no senior citizens, we'll continue to come. Right? And we'll try to raise our hands in the appropriate time when Ryan asks his question. We'll work on that. I said doing that, I said, you know, we were supposed to raise our hand. And then he said, you should have raised your hand. So I had a good laugh about that. So here's what I invite you to press into. Both sides of that. Faith, laying hands on the sick. Inviting God to touch us, to help one another, to pray for people. And leave it with him when it doesn't go the way that you thought it should go. But, but next, next time, do it again. Do it again. And don't go bitter. 
and, and pray. If Annette had never done that, if Annette had not done that, I don't know the outcome. I, I, I think it, I think I might have died. I, I, the kingdom, you, know, you, you can do some work around predestination of God and all that. Well, listen, if prayer doesn't mean anything, why does he ask us to pray? It doesn't mean anything. Pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. And that says, the sense I had was this was not going to happen. This was wrong. This was not going to happen. And she moved on that. Good soldier. That's what, that's what she did. Didn't, you know, and so it, I leave that with you. Now, here's what I like to do in my end. I know you have a meeting afterwards and everything. Let's just calm our hearts for just a minute. And if, if you feel like you're really up against it, I mean, you're just, you're really between a rock and a hard place. Maybe something is going on in your life right now, and you're just, you're like in anguish. I'm not going to ask you to walk forward. I'm going to ask you just to stand up. No embarrassment, just stand up. It big, a big, maybe it's a, it's a big, it's a big question. It, it's something that you, you, you wish was different. It's not different. Maybe it's a condition that you have, a situation that you have. Maybe it's a situation a family member's going through or a friend. Something that just, it's like it's stuck to you and you just can't make heads or tail of it. Just stand up right now and we're going to welcome God into that place to shine his light. Father, these men and women that are standing before you, you know the situation better than they do, but you see the cry of their hearts. Father, I welcome the kingdom of God to rest upon them in such a way that a breakthrough comes either a breakthrough in the situation radically changing, which you, you do all the time, or a breakthrough that says, nevertheless, I'm going to follow God, I'm not giving up, I'm pressing in, and I'm going to go forward. Lord, I welcome your grace to do that in our hearts way above and beyond what our human limited capability is able to do. You said, you promised that you would give peace that surpasses understanding. So I'm asking for that peace to surpass the understanding of the human limitation in that place that cries out and says, my God, my God, why? My God, my God, why? We lay down at your feet, Lord, as best as we know, the demand that it go our way. We let it go and we say, Father, let this cup pass from me. But if it can't, then I trust in you. Now, men and women, I don't pray that prayer of blessing over you tritely. I'm not standing here pretending that this is an easy thing. 
I'm welcoming the power and presence of our King to meet you in a way that human solutions never could. Lord, we bless you and we thank you and we are grateful for the promise that says it's going to become better than we ever thought it could. If not in this life, in the next life, surely. And then we will understand. Until then, Lord, may these men and women that are standing before me, these men and women that are sitting before me, those that are a part of this congregation, may they press on as powerful soldiers in the faith, men and women, declaring God is good no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Wow. Thank you, Jeff.